Good evening, patriots. You are listening to Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll cover government agencies changing definitions, the left getting sad over being given a taste of their own medicine, and crazy Cori Bush attacking her own party, next on Living with Liberty. I'm starting off today's show a little bit differently as I want to give you all an update on what I've been up to. The show's been a little all over the board lately as far as when I've been releasing new content, new shows. That's not been by design, that's for sure. I like to keep things pretty consistent as to when I will drop a new show. But given I'm gearing up to run for my local school board, focus has been on that area of life with me attending various strategy sessions to prepare for that, attending other meetings, just networking with other candidates who are running for office, and just studying up on how to set up and run an effective campaign. I have officially turned in my papers to get on the ballot, so now officially I am a candidate for my local school board. I've toyed with shutting down the podcast as I focus in on this, but My wife, being the smart lady she is, told me that I was in no uncertain terms to stop recording shows. So I will keep turning out shows when I can in between campaign strategy sessions and actually doing the campaigning uh, itself. The show continues to grow, and you all invest your time in listening to my show. I deeply appreciate that. So this is my long-winded way of thanking you for sticking with the show and helping it grow even if the cadence of new content has been a little erratic lately. All right, on to our first story of the day. The corrupt bureaucracies of our government continue to change language and change definitions of what they are doing. The NIH, the National Institutes of Health, old Tony Fraud cheese uh, in uh, bureaucracy here, decided they wanted to remove the wording around what gain of function means. They removed the wording, uh, the current definition or the definition up until a few weeks ago, I guess, from their website. Now, Fraudchi's agency had a detailed explanation of gain of function on its site. And according to the Epic Times, that definition, the old one, read like this. Uh, Gain of function is the term uh, that refers to any research that modifies a biological agent so that it confers new or enhanced activity to that agent. Yep, that sounds about right. That sounds like what happened with the coronavirus. Fraudchi sent some money to China. They modified a coronavirus to behave differently in the hopes that it was more uh, infectious, uh, let's say at a minimum. The virus then escaped the lab, either because of incompetence or on purpose. That is up in the air. That's debatable. Uh, But uh, what's not debatable is that this virus has become the Chernobyl of our time in terms of cover-ups and denials that anything happened and hot potato of whose fault it actually is. Of course, part of the cover-up is to change the definition 
now to somehow make it seem like gain of function research is okay. Like we should just continue doing it, even though the, this last round here, we had a virus escape that caused a pandemic. So in order to make it seem like gain of function research is normal and okay, and we should keep doing it, the National Institutes of Health uh, updated their page, the definition of gain of function research, uh, and it reads this way. It says that research involving enhanced potential pandemic pathogens, or EPPPs, EPPPs, is a type of so-called gain of function research. Now, it claims the site that the vast majority of gain of function research does not involve EPPPs and falls outside the scope of oversight required for research involving EPPPs. Now, did you see what they did here? Did you see what the NIH did here with this new definition? This definition has been changed to make it seem like this was a one-time event, like it was no big deal, like we were doing gain-of-function research on a pandemic, uh, potentially pandemic-causing agent, which did in turn cause a pandemic. Uh, they want to make it seem like, well, that 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 was a one-time event. It's it's not what we do with gain-of-function research. It's outside the norm. So what they're doing is they're trying to open the door here to doing more gain-of-function research by redefining it, the classic leftist trick of, well, we screwed something up, we'll just change the definition. The, this making it seem like it was no big deal here is what they're trying to do, make it seem like, well, we normally, yeah, we don't do that, we're not going to do that anymore. EPPs, uh, EPPPs, EPPPs are not the norm in gain-of-function research, they say. Now, what we've got to remember here, and, and what they're not necessarily remember, but the other thing I, that they're trying to push here is also sweeping this gain-of-function research of the coronavirus under the rug. They're saying this was not a nuclear-powered enemy using our money, the U.S. taxpayers' money, to fund research of a potential bioweapon to use it against us. No, the vast majority of gain-of-function research does not involve EPPPs, it says. Okay, after this debacle with coronavirus, why are we even entertaining gain-of-function research for any pathogen, period? Why... This is how brazen and bold these people are to think that we're stupid, to think that they can go and just change a definition and then continue, continue on with their course of corrupt activity. You see here, the, the NIH is putting out this statement so it can justify laundering more tax dollars through international labs to figure out what other nasty things they can make viruses do. They are saying, well, since most gain-of-function research falls outside the oversight required for research involving EPPPs, we just won't work on those anymore. More likely, we just won't tell you we're working on those anymore. But we are going to find other ways to piss your money away that do not require any major oversight, so you don't have to be concerned about this anymore. 
the vast majority of gain of function research is uh, does not fall into researching these potentially pandemic causing agents. So you can you deplorables can go back to your Walmart shopping and and Confederate flag waving, whatever you do. That's what they're saying here. They're saying don't pay attention to us anymore. We we see we changed our definition of what this is. We're good now. This whole new definition of gain of function research in and of itself is reason enough to start disbanding this agency immediately. They have no interest in stopping gain of function research. There's nothing here that's going to say that this won't happen again. Fraudchi's agency has no remorse for their part in the COVID debacle that has taken place. They won't even acknowledge it. They changed the definition to try and cover this up. They changed the definition of gain-of-function research to cover this up and uh, deflect blame from themselves. Now they just want to get back to seeing what kind of new stupid virus tricks they can make viruses do. Why don't we work on the opposite of gain-of-function research? Instead, why not work on decrease of function? Why don't we work on neutering viruses? Why don't we work on uh, wild viruses that we can release out there that that basically uh, negate what's out there, that, that basically make the viruses that are out there impotent. We know the answer to that already. Big Pharma loses big on not having their vaccines to peddle anymore. They lose out big on uh, profits from coming up with vaccines that are unnecessary. That's why That's why they work on gain-of-function research, so the big pharma can have something else to try and uh, create a, a, um, uh, a cure for. Now, it's not just the NIH changing definitions of things. The Centers for Diseased Clowns didn't want to be left out of the action either. They decided they wanted to change the definition of a vaccine. Now, it went from, here's what the old definition was. It went from a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease, protecting the person from that disease. Now, remember that. A product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease, protecting the person from that disease implies that you get this vaccine, you are protected for life from whatever disease that vaccine was for. Old definition. New definition is this. A preparation, so this is a vaccine, is a preparation that is used to stimulate the body's immune system against disease. Now, do you see it here? Do you know how they are priming you here. This change is in direct correlation, I believe, to the failure of the flu vaccine and now the COVID vaccine to effectively produce in the recipient an immunity to whatever specific d disease it is and that immunity that is actually long lasting that would cure you for life. Because of the failures of these vaccines to do that, the, the CDC had to reevaluate the definition of a vaccine. They had to change the wording here 
to it stimulates the body's immune system against disease versus uh, causing the immune system to produce immunity. See the language difference there. One is an active immune system creating your immunity, protecting you for life from a disease. Two, something that is only a, uh, call it a solution, a, an interim uh, solution at that, that stimulates your body against a disease. It doesn't cure you. Notice the first one implies a cure. The new definition implies no cure. It implies that it'll stimulate your body against the disease, your body's immune system against the disease. So now what is this all saying? Well, it's saying boosters in perpetuity, my friends. That's what it's saying. It's saying don't expect to actually be covered against any disease for any length of time anymore. Big Pharma doesn't make any money that way. That's what this new definition is saying here if you read between the lines. Nope, it says we are going to change the definition of a vaccine to open the door for perpetual boosters. So we, the experts of the CDC, can just keep telling you deplorables you need to get another booster. You need your flu booster. You need your COVID booster. You need a booster for this new thing, new vaccine that Big Pharma came out with. Um, because we've got a fun big pharma, so they have profits to kick back into the CDC and our our donor or our political campaigns. That's what this is saying here. Big pharma needs sick people. If they don't have sick people, if they don't, if they if they eradicate a disease, they don't have business anymore. Now think of it in this in these terms, uh, in this kind of analogy here. Durable equipment manufacturers, so think of like a wash machine, refrigerator, that thing, you know, those sorts of things. They figured out long ago that planned obsolescence leads to sales of new, more profitable units sooner than if they built something that lasts 50 years and just needs cheap replacement parts every so often to keep it running. And it's and at that, those parts, those replacement parts are parts that the manufacturers often didn't make. So they really didn't make any margin on the rep, uh, replacement parts. But if we plan, uh, create things that are cheap, more, more cheaply built um, and get obsolete or faster, then, yeah, maybe we'll sell some replacement parts, but the repairs and everything because of the way they're made now and compact and everything it takes longer to take them apart and put them back together. The only people making money are the, the uh, repair people at that point. It comes to a tipping point sooner to just replace the thing. Just that refrigerator that used to last 30, 40 years, ah, 10 years and it's gone. Big Pharma has figured that out now. They've figured out planned obsolescence. They've figured out that once they cure someone, they no longer have a customer. You eradicate a disease through a one-time vaccine or maybe a vaccine and a booster. They no longer have a customer for that vaccine or booster and booster anymore. So they needed planned obsolescence of their own. So hence flu vaccine, hence COVID vaccine, where now you're, you're seeing uh, Pfizer say, go to the FDA and say, we want, um, uh, we want you to approve boosters for all adults now. 
and we know that the, the the vaccine's not working. That those vaccines are good for four or five months. That's why they're saying boosters, and that's why I'm saying boosters in perpetuity now. Because if you want to be supposedly protected from COVID, you have to get a booster every four, five, six months. So they're giving you three to two to three boosters uh, a year. They're selling two to three more vaccines a year. That's what this is about. It's not about curing anything. It's about how do we make more money? That's boosters in perpetuity. And oh, by the way, the vaccine that's out there now isn't even good for the Delta variant. It's it's geared towards the original variant. So there you go. They'll change the vaccine to the Delta variant, and then that'll put more evolutionary pressure on the virus. It'll perpetuate the virus. And then they'll come have to come up with another vaccine. So now it becomes an endless cycle of COVID vaccine, just like it's an endless cycle of flu vaccine. It begs the question with the flu, uh, would we see the evolutionary pressure on the flu if we didn't have this vaccine? Maybe, maybe not. The flu vaccine, I think at best, one year was 60% acceptance rate, maybe at best. Um, it's typically much lower than that, so you don't have as much pressure uh, on the flu virus to mutate as you do with the wide-scale vaccination rates of the COVID vaccine. So we end up with this. We end up with Big Pharma peddling treatments that work for a little while, but you need perpetual maintenance doses so they can keep their money train flowing. You might be protected from it, you might not, but all that matters is Big Pharma's getting their money. Pharmaceutical companies aren't in the business of curing anything anymore. They are in the business of feeding their profit beasts so they can feed their shareholders, so they can feed the politicians, so they can feed the, the government agencies that have been set up to be marketing arms for these uh, these bureaucracies. And they are in the business now of figuring out how to make dependent customers for life. Moving on. Let's go, Brandon, is making the left sad. Yes, it's true. All of a sudden, they are sad and outraged that our senile resident-in-chief would be subjected to such disrespect. They are sad and outraged that the office of the president would be defiled by the great unwashed, voicing their displeasure of our installed resident-in-chief by turning what was meant for propaganda against them. Most of the outrage is due to the fact that conservatives and everyday Americans have figured out that Alinsky's rules work. Rule 5. Ridicule is a man's most potent weapon. That's what Let's Go Brandon is. It's turned into a rallying cry. It's turned into a way to ridicule this just absolute disaster of a presidential administration. It's the family-friendly version of the original statement of defiance and ridicule of the installed resident in the White House. The left thought they had a monopoly on the use of Alinsky's rules. Not so. We are figuring out that if these are the rules being used, then we better use them. Most people, left or right, do not have the mentality of a salesman. Now, having worked with salespeople in a supplier-customer relationship over the course of my career, 
It was amazing at times how, after I just got done ridiculing that salesperson's company's performance on whatever it was they were supplying us with, they had a poor performance. We're using facts here, but I'm still ridiculing them in a sense of, hey, you guys suck, but doing it nicely. It would amaze me that after I just got done doing that, after I just got done telling them they sucked, that salesperson had the nerve to present to us on why they should be given more business. Most people don't have that mentality. Most people don't have that just absolute lack of, uh, of sense of shame. Most people, when faced with ridicule, will back away. They'll back down. That's why it's a powerful tool. Most people do not have the mental uh, fortitude to just walk, brush it off and move on when someone ridicules them. Now, Jeff Lewis had this to say in his American Thinker piece titled, They Can't Stand It When We Ridicule Them. He wrote this. Among some friends and acquaintances, I have noticed a reflexive, vigorous pushback against this phrase mocking Joe Biden. They call it immature and say mocking the president should have no place in our politics. Now, it sounds like Lewis works or has a lot of friends who lean left. Sounds like a lot of hypocrites in his circle of acquaintances, actually. They apparently conveniently forgot all about the preceding five years plus from the time Trump announced his bid for the presidency to current day where the media, because they have nothing else to talk about, still try to ridicule Donald Trump. Lewis went on in his piece to confirm this thought process. He says this, really? After cleaning up the mess from spitting out my coffee, I respectfully but firmly reminded them of what the country went through for the entirety of the Trump campaign and presidency. Their response has been, we need to do better, or just because both sides do it doesn't mean it's right. Well, here it is. The fact is, them's the rules. If conservatives are going to continue to win, if they're going to win, then they cannot play by a different set of rules. The days of just taking the high road are over without throwing the ridicule back in the face of the left. If the left wants to use Alinsky's rules, then those are the rules of engagement that have been set. I don't, I don't say it's right. I don't say it's wrong. It's the rules of engagement. That's both sides have to play by that. Now, the difference here is the right will use facts coupled with Alinsky's rules to make the ridicule sting even more, to make it truthful. What, what's the old saying? The truth hurts. The truth always hurts. The truth can be ridicule. The truth can be used as ridicule. And that truth stings even more because once people see the truth, they understand that they've been fed lies. Once they acknowledge that that's the truth, once they acknowledge in themselves that the reason that uh, they hurt when someone fed them the truth is because they are in the wrong, makes it sting. So we look at this, what ridicule of Biden has been untrue to this point? What ridicule has been untrue to the, at this point 
that it's causing Lewis's friends here to say we need to do better or just because both sides do it doesn't mean it's right. And, and to just have some cognitive dissonance about the fact that we just went through five plus years of a Trump campaign and presidency where it was nothing but nonstop ridicule. So what about, again, I ask, what about the ridicule of Biden has been untrue? His poll numbers are the worst ever. They just sunk lower this past week. I think 38% is what I've seen. And we'll throw um, Kamala in there. She's at 28%. That's just awful. They're getting into Congress territory here. The administration has botched everything they have tried to do. There's been nothing but endless propaganda by the regime and the media that is, is at this point just such outrageous lies you can't help but ridicule it. You can't help but laugh it. You know, if we actually had funny people on things like Saturday Night Live and Late Night TV, this is this would be a bonanza for them. If it, Go back in the days of Jay Leno. He wouldn't let any of this go by. That would be must-see TV if we had this incompetent of a regime in place when, when people like Jay Leno were still on TV. But now that the ridicule train has turned on the left, they want to all of a sudden take the high road. Now I say this, until there's some leadership on the left that comes to the table and says, look, we need to start doing things civilly. We need to discuss things civilly. We need to be rational, reasonable people about this. And when it comes to that the media is actually ready to start reporting facts and not propagandistic lies, not showing video of burning buildings in the background, calling it a peaceful protest, when they're actually ready to start doing their job, which is to be the accountability arm of the people for the government, or part of the account a part of the accountability arm anyway. Those that are appalled right now by the perceived disrespect of let's go, Brandon, can shove it. Until those things happen, until the left comes and says, we are ready to discuss things in a rational, logical manner, and the media is actually ready to start reporting facts and not just slant of whatever they feel, anybody that is appalled by let's go, Brandon, can shove it. They set the rules. We are now just starting to play by those rules. The left is sad and angered by Let's Go Brandon because it is a taunt directed at what an absolute abject failure their chosen puppet has been, is, and will be, and how the legacy media is just a complete and utter farce that less and less people are turning to for information each day because the American people are smart. They see the outright lies and propaganda of the media and are not going to take it any longer. Now, with that, with the propaganda, with this uh, just complete incompetence, we have Cory Bush here. We have Cory Bush, who is clearly gunning for the top of the podium when it comes to the dumbest members in Congress. Not only does she seem to think people support her duplicity in defunding the local, uh, their local police departments while maintaining her own private security at a cost of 200 grand, and, and she's not even ashamed. Like I said, she could be a salesman because she's not even ashamed of this. She probably exclaimed the fact on 
uh, her national news interview that we need to defund the police. We need to keep keep the pressure on to defund them. And oh, by the way, yeah, I'm going to get private security because I got to be here to def defund the police. She, she, uh, national news said that. That alone might put you at the top of the podium, especially in the face of polls saying people don't want their police departments defunded. But anyway, it gets better than that. And like I said, she's really trying hard for the top of the podium of dumbest member of Congress. Because now she thinks Joe Manchin should not hold any sway, should not have any part should just tow the company line when it comes to passing through the disastrous Biden spending plan, or should I say Bernie Sanders spending plan that he put in front of Joe Biden, who doesn't know uh, his vanilla pudding from his chocolate pudding at this point. She, Cori Bush, apparently thinks that every Democrat should just bend to her friends on the fringe and pass this bill. Now, Bonchi wrote about uh, Cori Bush in her piece in Red State, she said this. Let's start, uh, let's just start at the beginning where Bush asserts that Joe Manchin does not get to dictate the future of the country. Now, Bonchi writes that's actually correct, but not in the way that Bush means it, of course, because Cory Bush is a complete buffoon and doesn't know anything when it comes to government. Now, Manchin is not dictating, Bonchi goes on, the future of the country. Rather, we have 52 duly elected senators that are. The Republican Party still does exist, and they hold 50 seats in the Senate. You throw on Manchin and Cinema here, now you have your 52 senators that are saying, we are not going to pass this debacle of a bill. Bonchi continues, their votes, meaning the Republicans, count just as much as Bernie Sanders' does. That Manchin isn't voting party line on Biden's wildest dreams does not mean the system isn't working or that a single per person is controlling the country. That's what Democrats want, by the way. They want a single person controlling the country. They want their party controlling the country. Now, apparently, Cori Bush forgot who hired her to represent them in Congress. Hint, the people. Joe Manchin is doing what I can only assume is what the majority of his constituents want him to do. He is representing the people that elected him to office. He represents a, oh, by the way, very conservative state, very red state that has heavy interests in an industry, coal, that Democrats are attempting to do away with as part of this monstrosity of a bill. Manchin here is exhibiting a little thing we like to call personal responsibility and accountability to the greater good of his fellow West Virginians. He's keeping his constituents in mind, and by extension, the future generations of not only his state, but this country. The same goes for Kristen Cinema, who has held this thing up. I actually find it disappointing that there aren't more Democrats willing to think for themselves in this regard. Gone are the days of the crossover votes here, for the most part. You have the left who want to control everything, who think that they uh, their ideas are the best and that because they have a, a, a Democrat next to their name, all Democrats have to think the same. That's It's this hive mentality. It's this 
single groupthink mentality being applied here, it's this uh, elitist attitude that, you know, we know best here. And now it's trickling down to Joe Manchin. These statements by Cori Bush further illustrate what we are up against as a country, both both uh, left and right, insane left at that, right? I'm talking about your center left. I'm talking about your sane Democrats who, who still love and respect this country. This is what we're up against here. And I think more and more uh, cult left and center folks are waking up to this. The fringe lunatics on the left think that the whole country will bow and should bow to their will. That's what Cori Bush is doing here, trying to attack Joe Manchin. That we thinkers out here in deplorable land, that they, they think we should just bow to those on the left, that we should be bowing to the dumbest among us. No questions asked. Don't question anything. You put, we're in charge. Just do what we say. That's the idea here. That's, that, that's what they want us to do. Now here, all you need to know about Cori Bush is in her accusations of Joe Manchin being a racist for not supporting some bloated Ponzi scheme they're trying to pass off as a spending bill. Right to the race card. Not a surprise, Cori Bush is an activist in BLM, so it's not a surprise. Let's go right to the race card. Oh, which, by the way, though, it, it seems to be a good way to be one and done as in terms of being a member of Congress. People are tired of it, left and right. Again, everybody's tired of it. They know we're not a racist country. They know that this isn't the route that we should be taking. They know we shouldn't, most anyway, I should say, uh, I firmly believe, no, we shouldn't be spending money we don't have. They don't believe it. The people, we the people don't believe it, no matter how much the race card is pushed. I know Joe Manchin isn't a racist. This is ridiculous accusation. Cori Bush hasn't ever talked to Joe Manchin. Cori Bush is damaging her own party further by pulling this type of stunt. And she's really damaging herself and her party by trying to defame a long-standing member of the Senate who, by all accounts, is well-respected. I must say, my uh, I was skeptical of Joe Manchin being, let's call it, the swing vote in the Senate, but I've got respect for him. He has stood up to the crap that the Biden administration regime and the fringe lunatics on the left have tried to push through. I've got respect for Joe Manchin. I'm sure we don't necessarily agree on a lot, maybe more. I don't know. He seems a pretty centrist Democrat. So there's probably more than most Democrats. But as far as ideology and, and politics go, Joe Manchin and I are, are not alike, but I have respect for him. He's willing to, he's a man with principles and he's stood up on those principles and said, I will not do this. And Cori Bush just shoots off at the mouth with these accusations and hadn't ever spoken with Joe Manchin. Didn't even go and talk to him. She just starts throwing the race card out there and opening her big mouth. Once again, she made herself look like a buffoon, which honestly is all right by me. All these Democrats are doing it that, that are in this, this fringe lunatic left. I just hope that her district wakes up to what a lunatic she is and votes her out in the next election here.
next year. Now, finishing up, we've we've got some uh, we've got a lot of hope, I think, based on what happened last week in in the election in the kind of midterms of the midterms, I guess, of uh, elections here in Virginia, New Jersey, and elsewhere. The media and the Democrats are so deep into their fantasy land that they can't even see clearly as to why they were absolutely destroyed in the elections last week. They're so deep, they've, they're so in deep with this racist nonsense, this Marxist nonsense, this authoritarian garbage that they don't, they, at this point, they can't even see clearly. Right away after Yunkin's win in Virginia for the governorship, the mediocres in legacy media and certain selected Democrats began spouting off about how it was white supremacy and racism and education is white supremacy. Now, that's interesting. Considering Virginia also elected a black woman for lieutenant governor and a Latino man for attorney general, both of which I'm... I'm almost positive, uh, Attorney General, he, I'm sure, has a law degree. And I believe Winsome Sears as well was in the military and has some sort of degree or a couple degrees as well. But, you know, uh, white supremacy and all uh, the education is just white supremacy. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, the the Virginia, what, what happened there, sweeping those top offices, it's the total opposite of white supremacy. What this all is, and it sounds like to me, and is, we have an electorate that are tired of being called bigots and racist. We have an electorate who have friends of all backgrounds, races, creeds, whatever. They're tired of their friends being called bigots and racist. They, America will not tolerate this. This win, this destruction of the Democrats in the last uh, the election last week sounds a, like a lot of parents that are fed up with garbage ideology poisoning their children in the schools. The pendulum has swung. Now that doesn't mean that next year, uh, the next year here until midterms 2022, it doesn't mean that things are going to get any easier. To the contrary, the Democrats and their media sycophants are have fallen so hard and so far from the reality of what's going on and the reality of what happened in that last election, they are going to double and triple down on it because for whatever reason, they think it works. Honestly, that's fine by me. People will keep tuning out the likes of CNN, who hasn't had a show register a million viewers in who knows how long now. They'll keep tuning out the clowns at MSNBC and CBS and ABC and NBC and the New York Times. But people have tuned that out. They'll continue to tune them out. They'll cancel subscriptions. The people will keep tuning out the likes of Cori Bush. And hopefully someone in that district mounts a challenge to get that lunatic out of office. Parents are awake. And we'll keep turning out two school board meetings keep turning out and then keep involved in their schools, their children's education to protect the minds of their children. They will keep tabs on what's being taught. What we can't do is let up. We can't give in. We can't just brush this aside and float on. We have to keep the pressure on. We have to keep marching forward. 
We must elect candidates that will join the fight and finish the job of pushing back this Marxism, this socialism, this authoritarianism. We must elect candidates who are committed to returning our country to its roots, to the constitutional rule of law. The momentum is now with the conservative movement. We need to keep it there by not letting up. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with the knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.